All right, we are ready to begin our Bible class here at the National Capital Bible Church. Welcome to those who are here listening. And we are tonight, uh, if all goes well, we will conclude the book of Job. We are in Lesson 60, a book that has 42 chapters. kind of thought we might end it a little earlier, but I had some doctrines that I wanted to teach, some principles. And tonight, even though we have a full, well, a full amount to teach, I believe that we are going to be successful. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is in Psalm 27. And the author, the psalmist, concludes this chapter with weight on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. Tonight, we have uh, much to cover. We're going to start in Job chapter 12, and we will walk our way through down through verse 17. Let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Tonight, it's always uh, important for us to be filled with God the Holy Spirit. We accomplish that by uh, confession of sins. And then, of course, we want to focus, focus on what God the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. We'll have a few seconds here for spiritual preparation, and I will open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the opportunity to study the Word of God here at the National Capital Bible Church. We're thankful for the freedoms that we have regarding freedom of religion as well as our opportunity to speak freely. We're thankful for the book of Job. We're thankful for the author, God the Holy Spirit, who inspired him and has provided for us many truths that can be found here in the book. As we conclude tonight, we pray, Father, that we have covered uh, a significant amount of the truth that can be found there, probably maybe only a tenth of it. But we are thankful for that tenth, and we pray that we will continue to remember what we've taught, what we've learned, what we've read here in the book of Job, so that it will be available for us to apply it as as Job goes through his adversities and then uh, is blessed by God at the end of his life. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin here in verse 12. Now, just prior to me beginning, I wanted to make sure that I gave an update on my appointments and my health. Actually, I'm, we, I always have two appointments with the doctors. One is with the neuro-oncologist, and the other one is with the radiologist. The radiologist is usually about a week later. Had my three-month MRI 
on Monday. And the doctor in the afternoon, that was in the morning, the MRI, in the afternoon, the appointment with the neuro-oncologist. And he was very pleased. Uh, He was pleased because he believes that the mass, we want to call it the mass, the tumor, is stable. He thinks that this image that was taken on Monday is very much similar to the one that was taken the end of December. And according to him, and I think the radiologist as well, uh, that is really their initial goal is to ensure that the that area is stable, meaning that the uh, tumor is no longer growing, it's not infiltrating, uh, and it's, as they would say, it takes time for the brain to recover from treatments. So we'll see. Uh, I think the radiologist on Tuesday of next week will have more to say. It's more in his, the MRI is more in his wheelhouse, and I look forward to seeing him. But I just wanted to make that, I always forget to update those who have an uh, interest And I always want to make sure that you're aware that your prayers are being answered. I think your prayers are uh, truly remarkable, and I'm thankful for them. So thank you. All right, verse 12, Job 42. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first. Now, I'll work on these names. The German influence starts this name with a J, and it's actually more of a Y. But... Uh, we would probably say that is Jemima. The name of the second was Kezia, and the name of the third was Karen Hapuk. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance amongst their brothers. Verse 16, And this... After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. Verse 17, so Job died old and full of days. All right. It may seem very simple, these two paragraphs, but I believe there's much here to be addressed. First of all, verse 12, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then we see that he had 14,000 sheep. We will turn to uh, Job 1.3 to see what he originally had, but now he has 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, a yoke can be 
many oxen, but it's believed that this is two, two oxen in yoke, and 1,000 female donkeys. Let's turn to Job 1, return to the first chapter, Job 1, 3. This is our introduction to Job, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless. In other words, blameless, he was obedient, is another way of saying that, and upright, he was honorable, and one who feared God and shunned shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and it says in a very large household. So this man was the uh, so that this man was the greatest, was the wealthiest wealthiest of all the people of the East. All right, back to verse 12. So we see that we have a doubling or twice the amount of these possessions. Let me work our way through what I believe is important for us to know here in a bit of a summary. First of all, God restored to to Job twice the number of livestock that he had previously. This brings us to an understanding that uh, his latter years were more prosperous than the first. Now, why would we think that that occurred? And I believe that we can understand this, that God, that uh, Job passed the test that he faced. We may look at it and think it was a, it was a bit uh, rough going for a while, but Job, we would say, came to his sp- uh, to his spiritual orientation. Secondly, perhaps he used the silver and gold received from his siblings and countrymen to purchase fresh livestock. We, you may remember that uh, at the verse eleven the end of his verse, it says, each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. And so this may have been uh, the way that Job was able to begin his livestock, his uh, prosperity again. So he was able to purchase fresh livestock. And over a time, the breeding brought the prosperity that he has. Thirdly, we might ask, did this outpouring of material blessing from God mean that the theory of the three appointed critics was correct after all? Were they correct? They had predicted that prosperity followed repentance. Well, the answer to that we we should know is no. The restoration of wealth was a token of God's grace, not an obligation of his justice. Now, it is true, and we will see this as we progress, that God blesses him 
because of his spiritual life, but also it's God's grace. It's not always what we might think should occur. Now, I wanted to make one comment here before we proceed, and that is that this is not what has in the past been known as the prosperity gospel. Every now and then, somewhat, you'll hear that phrase, the prosperity gospel. Prosperity theology is a religious belief among some mostly Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. In other words, if you're obedient, if you're generous, then you will automatically, I'm going to use that word automatically, prosper. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that. God blesses us in different ways according to his sovereign plan. It does not need to be fame, wealth, or possessions. But that is what the prosperity gospel teaches. And we need to be careful that obedience doesn't mean that we are going to be wealthy. We're going to be famous. God blesses us in different ways. Fifth, since Job acknowledged his sin, his lack of faith and his accusations towards God, the test by Satan ceased. So Job came to the conclusion, as we saw, that he had sinned and God now changes. Well, let me just read that one more time. Since Job acknowledged his sin, his lack of faith and accusations towards God, the test by Satan ceased. So God removes that test. Satan's attacks had not succeeded. And because they had not succeeded, Job now returns to his his spiritual life. Six, the rest the restoring of his estate demonstrated to his friends that God had restored him, restored him in his fellowship. Seven, furthermore, the book of Job does not deny the general biblical principle that God blesses the righteous. God blesses the righteous. We understand that. He simply doesn't always bless us the way we might wish he would. We leave that to God. Instead, the scriptures show that the principle is not invariable and airtight, which we mean it doesn't always occur the way we want it to occur. We think it will occur. We simply are being blessed by God according to his sovereign plan. So our final point here, point nine, God in his sovereignty can give or hold back blessings in accordance in accordance with his purposes. God has a purpose for everything that he does. And those difficulties, those adversities, sometimes are 
for discipline, and other times it's for testing and for spiritual growth. Verse 13 says, He also had seven sons and three daughters. Ah, this is a great verse. Short, but it has several questions associated with them. Job previously had ten children, but they died when a great wind destroyed the house where all ten were gathered. The question is sometimes asked why the post-trial blessing for children is not twice as with the livestock. Well, the text doesn't answer that question, but it's probable that Job's children were believers. If they were believers, therefore, when they, when they died, their souls continued to live, how, albeit in another location. Paradise, we would say. The number of livestock were doubled from zero to twice the previous numbers. The number of the children remained ten because they, their souls, continued to live, as I said, just in another location, in paradise. Therefore, to double their numbers would be 20. So there's 10 additional. So we have the original 10. They're still alive. They're simply in another location. 10 more means that his children doubled as well. So he has not just 10, but 10 more for a a number of 20. Hopefully that's clear. The next question often asked, were the second set of children from Job's wife, which is mentioned, she was mentioned in Job 2.9. Remember she says to Job that he should curse God and die. Again, the text doesn't answer that question either. But I think the simple answer is yes. The children were from his wife, his original wife. Job and his friends were given the opportunity to confess their failures and recover fellowship with God. And there's no reason for Joseph's wife not to be given the same grace recovery. Job's wife's previously attitude came after uh, she had just lost all ten of her children. She needed time to return to fellowship and be blessed as well. So if I was to answer those two questions, I would say that, yes, his children, the number of his children doubled. He had ten, and he was given ten more. All of them we will meet, or we will, we could meet in eternity. And then, as far as his wife is concerned, there's a lot of people that are very hard on her. But I believe that if we lost ten children, we'd probably be out of sorts as well. And I think she's given the opportunity, just like Job and his three or four friends, were given the opportunity to recover and continue their lives uh, in fellowship with God. Verse 14, And he... This is Job. And Job called the name of the first. Uh, Yamima is actually the Hebrew word. Yem, 
Nima. And the word, uh, the name means either dove or day by day. This is always difficult. Uh, Hebrew names uh, don't always, uh, are not always easily understood. We believe that they have a meaning, but it's difficult for us to, to always accurately understand that. The name of the second, Kezi, or usually starts with a, a Q, Ketsia, Ketsia, which many theologians believe has a sense of cinnamon aroma. And the name of the third, Karen Hapuk, which means horn of paint. Now, that's difficult for us to say. We're not sure that those names carry a lot of a sense of blessing. But let me go to verse 14 and 15, and then we'll work on those names as well. Verse 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. So our summary of verses 14 and 15. Job's grief over the loss of his ten children was relieved somewhat, though probably not fully, but the birth of, uh, with the, the birth of ten other children. We are not told if Job's wife, mentioned in Job 2, is also the mother of these children, but at, at the same, of these children, but as I said, I think the answer is probably yes. The names of the three youngest daughters are given. Whereas the names of Job's older 17, 17 children are unknown. And I think that adding these three names brings a stronger sense of intimacy of Job to the others. In other words, we weren't given the names of the other children, the first ten, and we're not given the names of the seven brothers but we have these three names, and I think God the Holy Spirit simply adds them to, to indicate that this was not just another ten, but they were cherished by Job and were given these three names. And then we're told that there was no one as beautiful as them in all the land. And so this is a sense of blessing. Point four, these names speak of the girl's striking beauty for which they were well known because there was no one more attractive than them. The last name I believe I said was the horn of paint. The animal horn bottle for holding a dye was used for uh, eyelashes, uh, eyebrows, and a it was a way of making them appear more attractive. But apparently they were already stunning. Another interesting fact about 5.5, another interesting fact about the daughters is that they shared with uh, their brothers in receiving from Job an inheritance. And this was believed to be unusual in those days. But I think... This could be easily understood. Point six. 
In later years, the daughter received their father's inheritance only if she had no brothers. In other words, we believe that the girls would receive an inheritance from the father unless there were no brothers. That was the provision of the Mosaic Law, where God commanded that the property remain in the family. So if a daughter married out of the family, which was certainly possible and maybe even could easily be done, God wanted the property to stay in the family. And so I think that's the reason why the provision of the Mosaic Law said that the inheritance was not going to go to one of the daughters. The provision was not a slight to the women. It simply was a way of God controlling what was happening in each one of those tribes. Verse 16, After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. I don't think I need to explain to any in any degree that one of the blessings understood for parents is grandchildren. Uh, I don't know uh, any set of parents. Uh, if they have grandchildren, they're prepared to tell you about those grandchildren. And what we see here is that Job's blessing is viewed by these grandchildren as fourfold. He was blessed because he saw not only his grandchildren, but his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren. And then verse 17. Verse 17. So Job died old and full of days. The word here for full is sometimes translated ripe, meaning that he had lived to the point that God was going to, using this phrase, pick him. He was going to be harvested. But the basic meaning is satisfied. So this word, uh, even used uh, in other parts of the Old Testament, has the sense of being satisfied, or we might use another word, uh, sated. Job's death was not one that brought frustration or bitterness. His life had troubles, challenges, even adversity. But at the end of his life, he was satisfied. He was sated. We would say that he died happy. Now, we can also say that when he died, if we use the term that he died in a satisfied way, God was also pleased with him. God was also satisfied with Job and his life so that when he took him, when God took him, uh, God was satisfied with the way Job had lived his life. When so many people die with frustration or regrets, how could Job be so happy? I mean, he had hardships. He had difficulties. He even had friends that accused him of, of being disciplined. So how could Job be so happy? Well, he died happy. Not because of all the possessions, 
although they certainly were a blessing. But Job, Job died happy because of his relationship with God. And that should be our understanding of any of our deaths. As we approach death, we shouldn't look around us and be satisfied for fame, our wealth, our possessions, our accomplishments, but our eyes should be on God, on our Lord, our relationship with him. And that's where our joy should be placed. When death comes for the believer, it's not his fame, it's not his human achievement or wealth accrued that is important, but his relationship with God. All wealth and achievement remains behind on earth. And it is his relationship with God that makes the difference. The greatest legacy someone can pass to a subsequent generation is the strength of their spiritual testimony. And I think that that is often omitted or overlooked as we approach the end of our life. The summary of these last verses. Point one, following his terrible ordeal, Job lived 140 years. If he was about 70 years old, when the calamities struck, point two, if he was about 70 years old, when the calamities struck, he lived to be about 210 years old. Now, how do we come to those conclusions? Well, if the rest of Job's possessions were doubled, it's reasonable to believe that his age was doubled. Point three, according to Jewish tradition, his latter years, 140 years, were exactly twice the number of his former ones, 70. We don't have a text that tells us he was 70 years old, but it stands to reason if we double or his age, if everything else that God did for him was twice what it was previously, then I think we can reasonably accept 70 years old plus 140 for 210 years old. Point four, Job saw his descendants to the fourth generation. That is, he lived to see his great-great-grandchildren. Truly a blessing for him. Point five, his death came not when he was in intense agony from his losses, but later when he was full of years. You may remember that Job, in at least two passages, prayed that he would die. Job 3, Job 3.20. While Job is enduring suffering, we see in Job 3 that he wishes that he could die. Job 3.20. Job 3.20 says... Why is life given to him? Why is light? Why is light given to him who is in misery? And life to the bitter of soul, 
who who long who who long for death but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures so the person that longs for death doesn't come job says verse 22 who the person who is looking for death who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in. Uh, that was another one of Job's complaints, is that he was hedged in. Verse 24, For my, my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly fear has come upon me, and what I dread has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, no trouble comes. One other passage, which we won't read, uh, is found in chapter 10, 18 through 22. But again, uh, Job wishes for death. So his death came, not when he was full of intense agony from his losses, but later when he was full of years. Job did not receive his wish to die. God knows the right time of death. We've Mentioned that several times. God knows the exact right time for death. We must not request our time for death. Job had another 140 years. So he says, let's just say that his age was 70. So at 70, he asks for death. And yet, he's blessed and he lives for another 140 years. Now, I'm not saying uh, if you pray that you'll live for another 140 years. But that's the blessing that God gave to Job. Job had another 140 years of exceptional, blessed life. Devote yourself to God and let him decide the time of your departure. Now, as we come to a conclusion here, I'd like to speak of several principles, well, more than a several, several, but these are principles from the book of Job as we conclude. We've just passed by the final verse. Notice how simple that was. And Job died, full of age. Very interesting. This book, let me get us to point one. This book which probably is the oldest book in the Bible, deals with man's most pressing problems. The question of suffering, very often adversity, we could say, and man's relationship with God. Those two pressing problems. Now, I haven't put everything on the slide, but this book, the book of Job, deals with mankind's most pressing problems. The question of suffering and man's relationship with God. In other words, the question is, when there is a challenge in our life, when there's difficulties, when there's adversity, when there's hardship, how do we approach God? We know how we're supposed to. We'll address that in a moment. But how do we approach God? Secondly, Job's experience reveals the truth 
that man's worship of God does not stem from a professional contract that we very often might have in human life. That contract might earn him material rewards from God, but that's not true. We do not make deals with God. So from Job, we learn that we do not make deals with God. Remember, Job was constantly speaking to God to do certain things. So Job's experience reveals the truth that man's worship of God does not stem from a contract whereby he earns material rewards from God. We don't make deals with God. God provides prosperity to us because of his grace plan for our lives. Third, man's relationship to God is not a judicial arrangement in which God is obligated to reward man for every good act. That's not how the Bible reads. Man's relationship with God is not like human bargaining. God is not obligated to live according to man's desires, man's thoughts. Um, There are many who believe that God should bless them even more. That's not God's way. Point four, instead, man is to trust God. Worship him regardless of of his circumstances and to rely on the perfections of God's character even when God's ways are not fully understood. I'll read that one more time. Man is to trust God, worship him regardless of his his circumstances, and rely on the perfections of God's character even when God's ways are not fully understood. We often do not understand why certain things are happening in our lives. And I probably could expand on that and say not often, but most of the time we don't understand why things are occurring in our lives the way they do. But God's character is should be seen in everything that we do. Point five Misfortune, calamity, disaster, any of these, adversity you can use. I chose calamity for the slide. Misfortune, calamity, disaster does not mean God has forsaken his own. We live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, with other fallen people, and with decisions that brings difficulties. Those factors are never on our minds when misfortune strikes. So calamity does not mean that God has forsaken his own. We live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, with other fallen people, and with decisions that bring difficulties. Our own decisions very often bring difficulties in our lives. Those factors are never on our minds when misfortune strikes. Uh, It is remarkable that we don't have more problems, more difficulties 
uh, more adversity than we have. The reasons are because of God's plan, God's grace towards us, even to the unbeliever. Six, point six, calamity or misfortune doesn't mean that God has plans that the sufferer may be completely unaware. In other words, calamity doesn't mean that God has plans uh, unaware, uh, does mean, excuse me, calamity does mean that God has plans that are unaware to us. God has plans beyond our knowledge and even our capability to know. So misfortune does mean, calamity does mean, God has plans that those who are suffering, those who are enduring adversity, uh, may be completely unaware. Yes, God is in the details, but God has given mankind volitional powers. God allows our volition to exist within his sovereign plan. So while God is in the details, while God could direct everything that happens in our life, he allows us to make decisions. And very often those decisions brings calamities in our lives. Whether for correction or growth, calamity is part of God's plan. God brings the misfortune, the calamity, the difficulties into our lives for a reason, his reasons. Seven, as with Job, believers' unmerited adversity may never be fully understood. We sometimes think that something's happening in our life that is unmerited. Well, yes, we live in a fallen body. I can go through this uh, rendition again. Seems unmerited. Yes, it does. And we may uh, never fully understand why. Yet, the believer can realize that God is in charge, that God still loves him and cares for him. And that is what Job learned. That was Job's lesson. It didn't make any difference how bad the adversity was. God still loved him and God was still caring for him. And that is the lesson that Job needed to learn. And that happens to be the lesson that we need to learn. No matter what's happening in our lives, God still loves us and God is still still taking care of us. Point eight Job's three critics said suffering, uh, said suffering's purpose is always discipline. In other words, it was always punishment for wrongdoing. Well, we know that that was not the case. We saw in the first two chapters, first, really the first chapter, that Job was obedient. He was blameless. He was obedient. Uh, and he was honorable. But God allowed Satan to test him. So Job's three friends were wrong. Nine, Job thought it was for destruction. In other words, he thought that God was destroying him, thinking God was determined to destroy him. So Job thought that his life was being destroyed, that God was destroying him. We know that destruction is only for those who oppose God or defy God. 
we periodically think that God is taking the same action towards us. Well, God is not. That's not the case. God is either bringing us back into fellowship or he's telling, he's test, uh, testing us for our spiritual growth. Point 10, the other friend, Elihu, we really haven't spoken that much about Elihu. We mostly speak of Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. But Elihu was his fourth friend, said that calamity was designed to steer man away from the grave. Elihu said that God's actions were to keep man from, from failing and for being punished and then going to the grave. It was to give the person the light of life, a meaningful life. Well, Elihu was closer than the other three, but he still didn't understand what God was doing. Point 11, God had two purposes. God had two purposes. Satan's defeat and Job's spiritual growth. He did not have discipline in mind for Job. God had two purposes. Satan was trying to find a way to oppose God. And God gives him the opportunity. God had two purposes. To demonstrate that Satan's allegations were false and to develop Job's spiritual insight or his spiritual growth. Satan sees ways to, def- to defeat God, doing it through believers' failures. But God uses Satan's actions or his cosmic system to test believers and to advance their spiritual growth. So God uses Satan's efforts and his cosmic system to test believers and to advance their spiritual growth. We must view hardships as opportunities for spiritual advance. We must view hardships as opportunities for spiritual advance. Now, that's not a criticism of Job. Uh, The adversities that Job was facing were extraordinary. They were extreme. But, again, the... The responsibility that we have is to continue to trust God. Twelve, therefore, to attack God, to malign malign God, to challenge God or accuse him, or try to conquer him sometimes, corner God, not conquer, corner him, all of which Job did are wrong for the believer. To blame God for our situation is the wrong approach. Remember, we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for that is God's will in Christ Jesus. And, of course, we find that in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Job learned that, uh, that responsibility to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for that is God's will in Christ Jesus. Thirteen, to criticize God's wisdom only reveals the believer's own ignorance or his spiritual failure. To criticize God 
To criticize God's wisdom only reveals the believer's own ignorance or his spiritual failure. We're coming close to the end here. Hang in there. 14. The chasm between God and man leaves no place for pride and self-sufficiency. There is a huge chasm between God and man. What God knows, what we know. His abilities, our abilities. But God continues to love us. So the chasm between God and man leaves no place for pride and self-sufficiency. We think that we have the answers. We don't. 15. Job did not receive explanations regarding his problems. That's the wonderful thing. Job challenged God. He accused God. And in the end, and he questioned God. But in the end, he didn't get the answers to his questions. But he did get an answer, and that was, trust God. God knows what he's doing. Job did not receive explanations regarding his problems. But he did come to a much deeper sense of the majesty and loving care of God. But he didn't receive an an answer, but he did receive a a deeper understanding of God. A deeper sense of the majesty and loving care of God. All right, last two points. 16. Therefore, Job came to trust God more fully. Job came to trust God more fully, knowing that his ways should not be challenged. Job came to trust God more fully, knowing that God's ways should not be challenged. Even in the midst of the worst disaster, We should trust God. We should not challenge God. Okay, 17, wrapping this. Although God's ways are often inexplicable and enigmatic, his ways also are benevolent and beneficial. Although God's ways, although God's ways are often inexplicable and enigmatic, his ways are beneficial or benevolent and beneficial. So these are some of the principles from the book of Job. There are many, many lessons that we learn from Job. And these principles could go on and on. But Job learned an important lesson, and that is God's in control. Trust him. Now, in closing... You might say, wasn't that closing? Let me just make a few remarks about God's or Job's death. And I think we've heard almost all of these in the past. But let me kind of rip through several principles about Job's death. Principles about Job's death. First of all, and we know this from Psalm 116.5, 116.5. Job's death was precious in the sight of God. Psalm 116.5 says, Precious in the sight of his saints is God's attitude. So Job's death was precious in the sight of God. And I think we can say in a second point here that that certainly was true 
in Job's case, in his situation. He was blessed beyond what we probably would consider uh, even explainable. So point three, God cares for the believer in life as well as in death. God cares for believers in life as well as in death. Four, God tells us that we as believers have victory over death. So we should never fear death. And I don't believe Job did. I think Job was ready for death. Paul tells us that we as believers have victory over death. We find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Point five, Job had victory in life and in death. So Job had victory in his spiritual life and his death, his physical death. Six, Job was not anxious about his inevitable death because he realized he was firmly in God's hands. Job was not anxious about his in, his inevitable death. I don't think he believed he was going to live forever. Job was not anxious about his inevitable death because he realized he was firmly in God's hands. Last two points here. Point seven, Job's life story begins and ends with God's blessing. Job's life story begins and ends with God's blessing. We are blessed by every light, by every breath and every heartbeat, every brain synapsis that we have. God gives us life. He gives us our breaths. And God blesses us when he removes those. So Job's life story begins and ends with God's blessings. And then point eight, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be comforted knowing that at death we will be face to face with our Savior. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be comforted knowing that at death we will be face to face with our Savior. That's 2 Corinthians 5.8. What could be more joyful than being in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this book, the book of Job. We're thankful for this episode of his life. We understood that he was being blessed exceedingly so for the first part of his life. And it was at that time that he was blameless. He was obedient and he was dedicated to you, even so much so that he interceded for his children. And then, Father, he has this testing Testing that was allowed by you, brought on by Satan. And Job was able to work his way through it. One of the ways that occurred is through your word. your speaking to him, reminding him of who you are and your perfect plan. And then, of course, his wonderful blessing at the end of his life. Father, we pray that we would understand that we can put ourselves in that same situation 
we may not have the same type of uh, blessing or the same type of adversity or the final blessings. But Father, our lives might follow a very similar path. Help us to remember through your word and your promises that you love us and that you are caring for us. And of course, this is essential for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone who's listening who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's important for you to realize that your relationship with God, your eternal relationship with God, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And we pray, Father, that simply by believing in his substitutionary work on the cross, you would believe and that you would have eternal life. And you would then have an opportunity to see Job in eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.